So living stones, let us um, offer an offering of praise this morning to our God and remind ourselves of the joy of being gathered together as his people.
you're um, joining us for the first time today, I want to uh, add my welcome to Paul's. We are um, at the beginning of a series um, of a whole year looking at this idea of hope. I don't know about you, but um, last week I felt such a sense of anticipation of, about what is to come in this series. And uh, this morning we are looking at uh, the glorious truth of the resurrection of Christ and of what that means for us. And so um, as we prepare to hear from God's word that Aaron's going to bring us, Adam's going to bring us, um, Aaron's going to play the guitar. (laughs) He just got really nervous. (laughs) Um, We're going to sing a a beautiful song that uh, takes us on um, the journey from the cross to the resurrection and invites us into... um, praise and wonder of our God.
Why don't you take your seats? Thank you, worship team. As we uh, get ready to come around the Lord's table, I want to take as our our passage just to meditate briefly upon this morning. Uh, the passage that Adam will be preaching on further comes up to share 
1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you've got your Bibles, you're welcome to turn with me to this passage. It just serves us well. I'm going to read the first couple of verses and Adam will pick up from that and begin to open up this marvellous chapter, 1 Corinthians 15. This serves well to invite us to the Lord's table together this morning. It's a pleasure to invite you. It's a joy to invite you to share in the Lord's Supper this morning. stand and sing together. Savior has ransomed. 
morning church how are you all this morning hope you're going well uh, thank you band i shouldn't tread on this but should i move it just in case doo, doo. i'll try and remember to move it backwards because uh... <laughs> well as uh, sarah mentioned we are in this wonderful series of hope and i loved how you mentioned like that anticipation like i was kind of Thinking about that this week as well, like, I think it's, it's going to be kind of a roller coaster of emotions as well of, like, just excitement and thinking through the hope we have. Maybe it's going to be rich and heavy and deep at some times, but it's certainly going to be joyful. Certainly going to be joyful as we uh, spend time um, in this amazing, amazing topic of our hope we have in Christ. This morning, we're going through 1 Corinthians uh, 58 verses, so I hope you're ready. Uh, it's not going to take that long, it's okay, I'll, we'll, be, we'll be quick. But um, yeah, I would appreciate if you could come before God with me, uh, that we pray and commit this time to him. Our great God and Father, we do want to thank you for this time that we have, this gift of being able to meet together as your people. Um, the gift that we have of... Um, been able to sing and praise you, the gift of our children and, and this moment that they have to learn about you. And we thank you, Lord, for the gift of your word. We thank you that it brings us life and light and that it shows us who you are and how we uh, can live for you, how you have loved us and how we can love you. So, Lord, we pray uh, for this time uh, that we have. Um, we pray, Lord, please uh, give us energy for our minds to be able to grasp um, your truths. And please, Lord, would you give us also a stillness of heart that we might be able to, uh, our hearts to be able to ponder and know uh, more about our great hope. Lord, be with us, we pray. Amen. Mm. Well, I've got a, a question. I like to start our sermons with questions. 
Um, the question is, how often would you say uh, that you would perhaps speak with someone or, or maybe hear yourself, uh, someone talking to you, about uh, the great uh, things that come about through Jesus saving death? You speak to someone about the forgiveness that we have in him, that we are redeemed, uh, that we're adopted to be children of the living God. And want those wonderful things. How much we, it's definitely once a week, right? Like you come to church. But yeah, probably two, five times, 10, 20 times perhaps a week. And that's good, isn't it? It's wonderful. But the, the, the real question I've got is, how often do you talk with one another about the resurrection of the dead? How often do you think that you would hear about it even? Maybe once, maybe twice, five times a year? I was kind of thinking about this and, you know, there's, you know, maybe it's more for you, but it certainly uh, doesn't kind of take center stage in our weekly discussions. And I was thinking about why, and there's probably a number of reasons why, but I wonder if one of the reasons that we as Christians kind of shy away from talking about the resurrection is because it kind of means we have to first talk about death, that destructive thing. And death is kind of not really that uh, dinner table discussion that we bring up, is it? It's, it's also something in our culture that we, we more push away to the sidelines. We don't have to deal with it. We've got great uh, advances in medicine and all that sort of thing. We, we kind of try and hide it. And if we can, we don't want to bring it up. Because, I mean, it's right. Death ruins everything. You know, the topic of death really puts a stop on any party. It's, it's difficult, isn't it, to talk to one another about it. Uh, I have to say, even with your kids, you're kind of wondering when you should approach it. You know, people buy pets and stuff like that, that it might come up later on. But it's difficult to talk to your children as well uh, about this, this topic. Um, oh, I do have a, a pointer thing. I'm assuming it will work. We'll find out. Do I have to switch it on first? No? Just press the big button. Big button. All right, we'll try it. There we go. Uh, so I was down in Albany in January. Uh, we went for a drive. I, well, I took my, my um, two kids for a drive, Violet C6, Aerial 4, and we drove around Mount Clarence, we stopped at uh, Middleton Beach, the playground there, it's great for kids, and uh, we stayed there until the wind almost was blowing them over, so we jumped in the car, and we headed back home to Beth's uh, parents' house, and on the way we're going down Middleton Road, and, and when you drive down Middleton Road, just before you hit the, the town centre again, you have the cemetery that's uh, pictured there, it's both on the left and right of the road, up the hill and down the hill, and Violet, my daughter, noticed it, and, and she looked and she said, Dada, is, is that the place where people go who don't believe in Jesus? And I was like, a little bit like, oh, what do I say to that? Um, and I kind of said, well, honey, it doesn't really work that way. And, and I kind of then responded to my six-year-old with my four-year-old listening and tried to, you know, fumble my way through, you know, talking about death and the intermediate state. And, and, and it was difficult. And I, you know, tried to do it in that appropriate way that you do for kids. Uh, but in the end, we also landed, though, on the resurrection. And I have to say, at the end of the discussion, they didn't look like they were having an, what do you call it, that crisis of, uh, of who they were being. Uh, that word doesn't want to come out of my mouth right now. But yeah, in the end, they were kind of quite happy. And I have to say, even for me, I felt a kind of joy that I had this little opportunity to speak to them about the gospel, but also to, to think a little bit about the resurrection and, and at Jesus' return. Well, today, 
we're looking, uh, as Paul mentioned, at, at this chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians. And it has a lot to say about the wonderful Christian hope of resurrection. Because we're looking at this letter of Corinthians, it's probably a little bit of a good idea to think about this world a little bit. What was it like for those living in the first century? What, what was their thinking like? And how did it differ from us today? There we go, it's working. Well, a big way uh, that this, this place differed uh, and their thinking differed was that they didn't have so much of an issue of talking about death. In fact, they, they couldn't really hide it. Um, the the uh, average age expectancy was 30 years old. So, you know, in, in their culture, death surrounded them every day. If you made it to 10, obviously that would increase. You know, it went up to 40, I think it was, and, then, and so on. Death was a big part of, of the world of this place, and, and so for the church. It's likely then that for the church, they kind of probably had no problem thinking about the afterlife and, and eternal existence. But where they differed maybe a little bit more than us as well is where they seemed to have an issue around the afterlife. And it kind of came about through their cultural understanding of, of, their, of body and soul, of spirit. In this Greco-Roman world and, and their thinking, uh, well, their understanding of body and soul in a nutshell is body bad, spirit good. You know, the body was partly responsible for, for those carnal desires. And so it was holding back a person from the divine. You know, any opportunity to shed away the body was a good thing. So what then follows in chapter 15 is Paul uh, points out, he gives them this amazing discourse of what the Christian hope really looks like of resurrection. But not only of what the resurrection looks like, but how this great hope shapes the way we approach sin, suffering, service, how we ser serve the Lord Jesus, but also fear. So we're not going to be covering uh, everything in this chapter. It is rich. I, I hope you had an opportunity to, to read through it um, Email news, sometimes we, we do put that out uh, to read through the, the verse coming up today uh, for, the, for the service. So we're going to have all this, uh, you know, we're not going to be looking at all of it. It's too much for my little brain, that's for sure. But I'm going to tell you what I hope we can do this morning, what, what I want us uh, to look at. So what I'm hoping is that, first of all, I kind of want to have a look at Paul's flow of argument. Where's he going and Why? And I want to do that so that when you go home and through the week or Bible study or in the future, you might, when you read this, have a, a bit of a grasp on what's going on. But I want to do that and also zoom in in particular on the issue going on in Corinth and how that's relevant today. And I want to do all of this so that we might be able to see just how amazing resurrection hope is. How amazing it is, but also how powerful it is in kind of breaking in to our lives today. So first, uh, let's, let's get on with it. Let's jump in. Two feet. Let's go. Uh, first, chapter 15, where it starts. Uh, Paul begins, actually, where we began uh, in our service today, as we shared in communion in verses 1 to 11. It was wonderful, wasn't it, to, to come before God, to be reminded of the gospel, that that is what, as a church, is at our center. And that's the place where Paul starts, the foundation of the Christian hope, that Christ died according to the scriptures, that he, that he was buried, he went into the grave, 
And on the third day, he rose again in accordance with what God said in the scriptures. Paul reminds them, he says, guys, remember, do you remember this? When you heard and, and understood and you said, yes, that's what my heart was longing to hear. And I can kind of imagine, right, as they're reading these first verses, this church was listening to these words and going, well, yeah, Paul, I, I do believe that. I still believe that, of course. Well, then what Paul does next is flow into the next part of his argument, which is the issue going on around the resurrection. Uh, he says this in verse 12. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there's no resurrection of the dead? But if there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. Paul here is kind of pointing out this absolute connection between Jesus being physically raised up from that tomb and final resurrection on that last day. And he does so by pointing out that to claim that there's no future bodily resurrection, well, that would have to mean that Jesus wasn't raised. And more than that, he says, doesn't he? If Jesus wasn't raised, well, that means that the gospel message and your faith, it's, it's just completely empty. And Paul actually goes on in, in, a little bit later in 15 to 19 to kind of list what it actually means if there is no final resurrection and that Jesus hasn't died. He says, coming up, that the proclamation, that the message of the gospel, the way that we're proclaiming it, it's just false. You're, you're a phony if you're speaking out the gospel. But more than that, your faith, those have come to trust in it, it's empty, it's futile. And even more than that, you're still stuck in sin. And also those who have died, who have been lost to death, are forever lost. It's not good. But can you see what Paul has done here? He's worked backwards, hasn't he? From that final resurrection back to Jesus. And then the consequence of that. What is the consequence of that? There is no hope. If there's no resurrection of the dead, there is no hope. He says this in 19, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, like what is that? We, if that's the case, are of all people more to be pitied. You know, losers with a capital L. If you want to see what that looks like in your life, if you have no hope in the resurrection, well, I love how Paul, he kind of ends up like the teacher in Ecclesiastes. We did Ecclesiastes uh, at the start of this year. He says this, if the dead are not raised, let's eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. No hope in the resurrection is going to affect your life in this way. Uh, Paul mentioned, actually, not the Apostle Paul, uh, Pastor Paul mentioned that there's a lot of stuff going on that's not good in this church, and, and Paul's kind of been dealing with it. You know, they're proud, they're lording it over one another. This is, this is kind of what the, the influence of, of uh, getting false teaching wrong. They're, they're actually taking each other to court. They're suing each other, they're... There's kind of terrible sexual immorality, immorality going on. And you know, it's even happening within families. They're going to see prostitutes. And, and there's also this massive amount of greed, disregard for the poor. It's just not good. And this is what kind of a lack of hope can lead to. You know, matter doesn't really matter. So eat, drink, do whatever. Live your hedonistic lifestyle and do whatever you want. It kind of did make me 
wonder, like, how much is, what's going on in my life and your life? How much is that sin that kind of, you, you can't get rid of? How much is it due to this lack of our understanding of what awaits? Like, do we have a life that is empowered to live in light of the future that God has prepared for those who love him? Is that us? Well, that's where Paul, he, he shifts gear. He's back up into third now as he claims this. No, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For by one man came death. By a man has also come the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all shall be made alive. In other words, Jesus being raised from the grave is not only inseparable from the resurrection, it's actually the beginning of the same thing. It's, it's the mechanism that's going to kick off the rest. You know, Paul mentions first fruits there, doesn't he? That, that initial beginning crop that comes from the land. So, so that gives an idea of the expectation of what is to come in the future. So in Jesus, we see he is the first of that final resurrection. It's already begun, actually, in him. It's as if it's kind of come early all of a sudden, and then there's this pause for a moment until he returns. So do you know what that means? It means that the resurrection that is coming is inevitable. The ignition point, it's been started for the chain reaction that's going to occur. That first domino, it's toppled down. And all the rest will follow when he comes. That's kind of my, my thinking that most of us here believe that. We, we trust and have our hope in the resurrection to come. And we do so because we, we know and cling to the truth of Jesus being raised from the dead. But I just want to say, if, if that's not you here today, you know, maybe you're not sure... And maybe you're not sure for good reason, because here's the thing is, dead people do not come back to life. That's, that's kind of a good, in, a good thing to, to place on your side of thinking through this thing, isn't it? We don't have much time to look into it, but I do want to say, like, if you do want to talk about a bit more about the evidence that there is, and it is weighty, uh, I'd love to speak with you more after the service. I'd love to. But I do want to ask you, if that is you, what... What Paul has in our next section where we're going to dive into is really for those who say that they trust in Jesus' death and his resurrection. But I wonder if you could just kind of keep listening anyway and tell me what you think about Paul's next argument. Maybe you could listen through. See what it says. Because what happens is, Paul, as we come to this part, we're going to dig into this main problem as kind of Paul really gets to the, the, the nitty-gritty of what is going on and why they don't think there's a resurrection of the dead. It comes in uh, verse 35. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? How are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? The question's kind of saying, if dead bodies come back to life, Paul, how, how can that be possible? What does that even look like? I kind of um, did mention, didn't I, at, at the start, that this main issue of, of the First Corinthian church is kind of coming from their understanding of body and soul. And, and if, um, you know, uh, earthly bodies were to be raised, then that kind of is impossible. They're incompatible with the spiritual. And, and actually, if the body's raised, that's going to wreck any kind of good heavenly you know, spiritual existence that was going to come. 
And, and we kind of don't really have that problem, do we? Uh, but I think what Paul says next really does speak into our lives powerfully. Because I think sometimes in the church, or maybe even we ourselves have thought this at one time, is we kind of in our minds, you know, in the, in the back of our minds have kind of this wrong expectation of the future uh, and, and of the eternal state when we, when we kind of start to think about it. We're going to get caught up speaking about going to heaven when we die or that when Jesus returns, he's going to take us to heaven. And, and with heaven as our, spoke, our focus, it kind of tends to bring into our minds this imagery of, of some sort of, you know, being some sort of wispy, ethereal kind of person. Like in the end, what awaits us is some ghostly kind of disembodied, you know, vapor floating around the throne of God for all of eternity. Is that what our hope is in? You know, kind of to be less real and less physical than you are right now. I really hope not. Like, actually, that's far from what the biblical picture is. That's what Paul wants to tell these guys in Corinth. He wants to show them that what awaits those who trust in Christ is the hope of a resurrection of your body. It is you. It is you who is raised. It has kind of complete continuity with who you are. Yet at the same time, what Paul's going to say, it is different. There's a discontinuity, a continuity. It's from the same, but also a discontinuity, a difference. And how Paul does it is, uh, by, if you've read it, uh, by giving this illustration of seeds versus the plant and crop that kind of comes up from it. You know, the seed of the body goes into the ground and to, to die, but what comes out from that same seed is more and better. Let me uh, grab the passage for us. Paul responds, how are the dead raised? What kind of body do they come? He says, you foolish person, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen and to each kind of seed its own body. You see kind of what he's saying there? Um, We'll talk about it a little bit more. Like uh, I've got an illustration here of some seeds. Does anyone know what any of those are? Feel free to call them out. I'm going to say I have no idea. Pumpkin? Pretty close. It is a melon of some sort. Is pumpkin a melon? I, I'm, I don't have a green thumb. My dad's pretty good with uh, plants. Um, but if you're a botanist, you might know what they all are. Uh, here it is here. So the top one, that's dragon fruit. Grapefruit, it kind of did look like an orange. I would have guessed a mandarin or orange, that one. And then you got the melon, a watermelon. But if you kind of have, have seen those seeds, unless you were into botany, you would have no idea, would you, what was going to come about from that little seed. But at the same time, it is from that seed, isn't it? It's a pretty cool illustration. It's not going to be raised like, just as that mere seed again, it's not going to pop up the same, but it is from it. And so the resurrection body, that's what Paul's saying. It comes from the same seed. It's from the same stuff, but there's a big difference. A big difference. Like, isn't that amazing to think about? Like, that what God is going to do, he's not going to resuscitate us. He's not just going to merely reanimate us. He's going to transform us. Not, not, not less than what the body once was, but to more. A body free from sinful desires. A body free from breaking down and, and falling apart. 
And, and it will do that because it's going to be no longer naturally powered. It died to the natural. It's no longer naturally powered. Paul goes on to say it's going to be spiritually powered. It's going to be a, a spiritual body, he says. And, and that, might be, that might bring to mind, well, that's spirit. Isn't that spirit? That's not body, Adam. But no, what Paul means by spiritual body is kind of like that of a, a steam engine. That's what my lecturer used to say. It's like a steam engine. It's not an engine made of steam. It's powered by steam, isn't it? So this is a spiritual body. It's not... It's kind of empowered by the Spirit. It's imperishable. It's glorious. It's wonderful. And friends, this is your hope. God will raise you up, not to be some wispy, ethereal thing, floating around on the clouds all day, not something physically less, but physical and more. That day, kind of when God raises your body and puts the matter and atom together uh, to lift you out of the grave it's pretty amazing isn't it and what does that look like how will god do that well you've got to say you have no idea that is the right answer um maybe you thought about it I, I have this kind of brain that tends to do that maybe you do you wake up in the middle of the night i just think about oh man what is that going to be like what is death going to be like what is how will god you know raise us from the dead I kind of once thought about, you know, imagine if you're a Christian on a ship and you're on that ship because the emperor from another country was dragging you across and he ordered you to be executed on that ship. You're beheaded. You're thrown into the sea. What happens to your body? It becomes fish food, doesn't it? And then they, for whatever reason, take the head back to show the emperor that that's what happened. How on earth is God going to do that? Is that what you, do you think about these kind of things? I don't know if you're laughing because you do or because I'm weird, but, but how will God do that? Well, here's the thing is, God is God, isn't he? He can do it. Revelation 20, and the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. We're not going to be able to scientifically comprehend it, I don't think, because it's something new God is doing. But he has the power to do it. I know Jesus is able to do it. Like, he put in place the rules and the laws of existence. All things hold together because of Jesus. He is able. He has promised it. And in the resurrection of Jesus, he's shown it, hasn't he? Your body raised and transformed to greater and better and more. It's full on, isn't it? It's marvelous. It's, it's wonderful. It's kind of too wonderful for us to think about. By nothing we have done, but all because we are in Jesus who loved us, who died for us, and now we have died for him that we might rise with him. Well, I mentioned we would just spend a little bit of time looking at what does this mean for us? What does it mean for you and I right now? How does this amazing hope shape us today? Well, I think it shapes how we think about sin. Paul kind of touches on that, and, and we kind of did a little bit earlier. But it also does other things. It shapes our suffering. It shapes the way we serve the Lord Jesus. And it certainly shapes our fear. Um, don't know where I'm up to here. I think I'm going backwards. Oh, yes, I am. Sorry. So what Paul uh, does, uh, he, he does in this chapter kind of touch a little bit on suffering. If there's no resurrection, why on earth would he put himself through that danger? But it is true. Like if you look at the Apostle Paul's life through Acts, 
and through other bits of the letter, some of the letters he's imprisoned. He's whipped on heaps, heaps of occasions. He's beaten, he's tortured. He's chained up and imprisoned on a number of, of times. Like, I, I know Acts 16, where him and Silas were kind of put in that prison cell, you know, after they're doing that miracle and took away the livelihood of people, they're dragged before the magistrates and they're ordered to whip them, beat them, and then they're locked up. Even their feet are done up in stocks, like they're going to run away or something. And then we read in that chapter that at midnight, perhaps then when they'd woken from the beating, what did they do? They complained like, God, what's going on? God, come on. Like, I'm serving you. Why, why am I here chained up in this prison cell? Why am I bleeding from my body? No, that, that's not what you read at all. What you read is that they sing. It's absolutely nuts. They sing. Why, why are they having this little church service in the middle of the night in chains? Well, it's because Paul has his hope in the resurrection. He's prepared to suffer every day for Jesus, knowing you know, his suffering isn't empty at all. It is for Christ. And friends, our resurrection hope, it provides us with perseverance. It provides us with power to go through that suffering because our hope is certain and great. It does shape our suffering, but it also shapes our service. I absolutely love where, it's one of my favorite verses, I think. Um, Paul ends, uh, have I got it here? I'm going backwards again, sorry. New clicker. <laughs> there we go. I'll just leave it on this screen there. There we go. It also shapes, though, our service. Uh, Paul says uh, this in verse 48. He says, therefore, my brothers and sisters, be steadfast, be immovable in your faith and your trust in the resurrection. Be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. It's not. And there's times when we're in the kitchen, we're serving with our time and energy on the sound desk, we're setting up for church, we're serving at youth, or we're serving uh, the kids at kids' church. We're doing a number of things, maybe visiting those who, who are unwell. And, and there are those times in life, isn't it, where we're weary and we even just wonder and doubt. We don't see any fruit and, and we're just thinking, Lord, am I helping at all? Like, is it worth it? If you're serving the king who died for you, it is worth it. It's, it's not for nothing at all. We serve him, don't we, in light, that, in light of the hope that, you know, kind of those who we are serving will share in this glory. They'll share in the resurrection themselves, that they'll be encouraged and built up in their trust that they might joyfully praise our God and King. It's not for nothing. The resurrection shapes our service, it shapes our suffering, but this is the biggest one, I think, it, it empowers us really to deal with that greatest fear in our lives. It's, it's your greatest fear, I'm assuming, and it's my greatest fear. And the thing is, is that we actually have no reason to cower in the face of death. Actually, fear is empty. Easier said than done, hey? But hey, all the more reason that we need to ponder more deeply, all the more reason we need to share with one another and talk with another about your hope, my hope in the resurrection, that we long for. All the more reason. These words, Paul ends with, uh, I think he does it for reason. He comes to concluding kind of his argument. He says this in 54, 55, when the perishable 
puts on the imperishable, when the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where? Where is your sting? You know, when you walk through a cemetery, um, you see the gravestones. They say different things, but all of them generally share the same words etched on them. They'll say the person's name. They'll say that when they're born, and then they have those words, he died. He lived, he died, he died, he died. Gravestone after gravestone. But when we get to the Lord Jesus, for the first time, actually the only time in history we see a tomb call out with power, don't we? He died, he has risen, and so will I. He went through the grave. He's conquered death. He's, he's, so I was going to say, guys, he's conquered it. He's gone through it. He's gone through. He's come out on the other side. He's, you know, that domino's fallen down. And this is your great hope. Resurrection. Death destroyed forever. And your body's raised, transformed for the glory of God. Well, I just want to end... Um, with this poem that I found when I was scouring the internet. Uh, this guy from the 17th century, George Herbert, was a bit of a poet. Uh, he was a minister. He lived a, quite a sickly life. He was quite ill for most of his life. Um, and so he, he actually died um, in 1633 at age 39. He actually wrote quite a few. I found a couple of uh, his poems ar- around death. Uh, but I found this short one um, of a discussion between a Christian a- and death. And this Christian has certainly grasped the hope of the resurrection. Um, Let me uh, read the words out for us. I'll put them up on the screen. So the Christian begins. He says, oh, poor death. Where's your glory? Where's your famous force? That ancient sting? Ha, poor mortal, empty of story. Go look and read how I killed your king. Poor death, who was hurt by that? That curse being laid on him makes you accursed. Let losers talk, yet you shall die. These arms shall crush you. Spare not, do your worst. I shall be one day better than before. You so much worse, for you shall be no more. Let's pray. Father, We thank you and praise you for your great mercy, your great grace. We thank you for the Lord Jesus, our King, who came, who suffered, who died so that we might live. And Father, we we do want to thank you for just this time we've had to think just a little about this great hope that we have of that day uh, when we will be transformed to be like Jesus, where death will be no more. So, Father, I just want to pray that um, for each of us here, Lord, that this hope of resurrection would grasp our hearts, that it would transform our hearts, that we might have courage in the face of death, that we might 
have courage to put to death the sin in our lives. That we might serve our King and our Saviour with great energy, with great joy. Lord, I just want to also just bring before you those that are suffering and those that are going through a great trial, turmoil. And Father, I just pray that you would stir us up to comfort them, that you would help us to remind them of their great hope in Christ. And Lord, we ask indeed that you would uphold them by the power of your spirit, that you would grant them a, a greater a deeper insight into their hope that they are longing. That day when they'll see you face to face. Father, we give you thanks for this time that we've had and we thank you for the time we've had to remind one another of the Lord Jesus, of his great saving work and this time we've had to sing with one voice that death is destroyed, that Jesus reigns forever. Amen. Thanks, Adam. It's a, um, it's a wonderful truth, isn't it? It is almost, in some ways, um, hard for us to take it in. And um, it was really wonderful to, to meditate and reflect on the truth of the resurrection. We often um, conclude our service in a reflective um, mode, but as we were talking about the service this week, we felt um, it was appropriate to end with a sense of celebration about um, the hope that we have in this resurrection. So why don't you stand and join us as we conclude our service together.
to sing a few songs about death being conquered, being arrested, and one day she'll be no more. I was talking to my wife this week and we were talking uh, even further about the resurrection and those wonderful words in Revelation, he shall wipe every tear from our eyes. Well, as we go out today, church, uh, I just want to encourage you to do something. Uh, I'm going to give you a bit of a challenge. I wonder if you could, even if you've read it, go through and read through 1 Corinthians 15 again. Maybe you could even go further and look it up some other passages in the New Testament about the resurrection hope that we have. Uh, and I, I hope that you could do this so you might be strengthened in that hope and also that this might overflow as you kind of live your life for Jesus. So, yeah, challenge, 1 Corinthians 15. See if you can read through it this week. Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with the hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. This week, go in peace to love and serve the Lord Jesus.